The following audio is from Central Christian Church, located in Portales, New Mexico. To connect with Central, go to centralwired.org.
Good morning, church. So here we go again, right? It's time for communion yet again. Once more, there's a feeling about communion. You think this feeling is like deja vu, vu, like using shampoo to wash and rinse and repeat. We do this every week. Why can't this be done once and be done with it? After all, that was what Christ did. He died on the cross once. He wiped out our sin. And now we are redeemed and headed towards heaven. Yes, that is what Christ did. He did it once, and there's no need for him to do it again. His death and his resurrection, that's what communion's about. But we have to... But we have a desperate need to hold in our hearts, in our minds, the reality, the power, and the amazement of what he accomplished. To do this, well, it requires us to become as little children. Among children, again, it is a favorite word, do it again. Have a grandson. And we'll be doing something and Papa gets wore out and he's saying, do it again. Well, sometimes we do it again, sometimes we don't. Children can seem like they're stuck records when they have that aspect of do it again. Or I want to do this again, or I want to do this again. Until they're exhausted. And even as... That time comes as they're nodding off to sleep. Sometimes you'll hear them mumble, do it again. So as we come to communion, let's do it again. Because we need that constant reminder of what Christ did for us because we are merely human. Our hearts stray. The world pulls us in 400 different directions. We have to repeat this to bring ourselves back. And doing it weekly allows me that opportunity to bring me back. So as we we do this, God's mercy then is renewed in us. And God's grace is renewed in us yet again. So here we are at communion again. Wash, rinsing, and repeat. Because we need that. These are yet but symbols that we take. The wonder-working power of the blood that he shed for us. His body nailed to the cross for us. In the Old Testament, the children of Israel offered sacrifices again and again. Burnt offerings, grain offerings, peace offerings, sin offerings, trespass offerings. Through these offerings, they worshiped the Most High God, atoned for sins, and acted out their obedience with each offering. The fire and the smoke reminded them of who he was and the relationship to him. So now we cry out again. Again, Lord, remember us in our neediness, in our sorrows, in our joys. Again, Lord, let us recall 
all that you have done. All you are to us. All you provide for us. And all you have created us to be. In gladness again we bow on our hearts and receive these symbols of holiness and redemption. Let us pray. Father God, we come to you this morning humbly before your throne that we take this time of communion and do these, take these symbols of your body and your blood. Father, that we might remember what you did for us on that cross. Because, Father, without the death of Jesus on the cross, we have no redemption. We have no salvation. And, Father, I called you and I thank you and I praise you for that. We ask these things in Jesus' holy name. Amen. If you're a fan of The Mandalorian or Star Wars, you probably know who this little guy is. If you're not, ignore the next about 45 seconds. So, uh... For those of us Star Wars geeks, or that if you have followed the Mandalorian series, which we built all of this on, was the Mandalorian, that guy up there, uh, was charged with getting this guy. His name is Grogu. We call him Baby Yoda a lot of the time. He's charged with getting him back to his people. Now, uh, they can't find him, and this guy's cute, and he's cuddly, and he has the force with him. and, and they, So there's this... There's this scene in there where they can't get him back to his people, and they're trying what, to decide what to do. And the leader looks at him and says, you are now a clan of two, meaning those two are tied together in a very, uh, inter, they're intertwined, their lives are intertwined, and what they will be doing for the rest of the series is intertwined. But what happens when your clan is attacked. We're in this series called This is the Way. We're, how did the way, the, that's what the church was called early on, the way. How did the way spread so far so fast? We're going to be in Acts chapter 5. If you're joining us on the radio or uh, online, get your Bibles out and look for Acts chapter 5. Now, our premise in this series is the church grew. It, sp- it spread almost 2,000 miles in less than 50 years. We started a few weeks ago looking when Peter stood on the steps at Pentecost and, and he challenged people, 3,000 people were baptized. And then a week or so later, uh, Peter and John are going to the temple. They heal a man filled with the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that you and I have. They were able to heal this man. And then they got taken in front of the Sanhedrin council and with boldness and powerful prayer, they taught us what a church, what a praying church looks like. Now they started with 12 guys. It went to 120, went to 3000. And within a few weeks, it was 5,000 men. So that was probably up to 12,000 people had been affected by this message in a matter of weeks. How can we do that? How will the church grow? And can we copy that, even if our clan is being attacked? Now, so what I'm asking you to do is start with me in, in Acts chapter 5. This is a very long reading, so I'm going to read a little bit, and then I'm going to talk a little bit, and then read a little bit, and talk a little bit, and then we'll finish out the chapter together. So start with me in verse 17. The high priest and his officials, who were Sadducees, were filled with jealousy. They arrested the apostles and put them in public jail. But an angel of the Lord came at night, 
opened the gates of the jail and brought them out. Then he told them, go to the temple and give the people this message of life. So at daybreak, the apostles entered the temple as they were told and immediately began teaching. Now, if you keep following along there, the high priest and the council decide to meet. All right, go get those prisoners for us. They go get the prisoners. They're not there. Okay, we don't know what's going on. About that time, somebody comes running in and says, hey, those guys that you arrested and that you threatened to kill, uh, they're down at the temple preaching. So pick up with me and uh, about verse 28. Didn't, this is the high priest, didn't we tell you never again to teach in this man's name, he demanded? Instead, you have filled all Jerusalem with your teaching about him and you want to make us responsible for his death. But Peter and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than any human authority. And he goes on to say, you, we're, we're following Jesus and you are the guys that killed him. And look down verse 33. When they heard this, the high council was furious and decided to kill them. And then this guy named Gamaliel steps in. Gamaliel's an older guy. He's wiser and probably a, cal- a little bit calmer. They're all up in arms. They're jealous. They're fired up. And he says, hey, 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 let's back it down a little bit. See, I've seen this before. There's been these touring preachers. They'll come along and, and they'll say they're really great. If they're from man, they'll, they'll fizzle out. And if they're from God, you're, you're not going to be able to stop it. So why don't we all hit the pause button a little bit? And let's see how this thing plays out. Now pick up with me again in verse 40. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them never again to speak in the name of Jesus and they let them go. The apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace in the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple And from house to house, they continued to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. A crisis, an opposition is, is really a fork in the road. You usually have two choices, a high road and a low road. You, you, Jesus even said as much, wide is the, the way to destruction, but narrow is my path. You're going to have to choose one of these paths. And when we are facing crisis or tragedy or, or death or pain, people ha- usually have a couple of responses. One of them is to shake their fists at the heavens and say, why are you doing this to me, God? And how come you're not there and you must not be there or you must not care about me? And yet some others can have precisely the opposite reaction and say, in the, in the worst times in my life, the darkest days, I never felt him closer. He was so close to me and, he, and he, I felt him more. His presence gave me comfort in the middle of the chaos. And it reminds me that testing will reveal our character. So my question to you as we get started is, what does your character look like? Because the way was being tested. They were being challenged. They were up against opposition. And, and they were up against physical pain. Look down in verse 40. I, I'm almost uh, a little stunned at how casual Luke 
says this in verse 40. The others accepted his advice. They called in the apostles and had them flogged. Then they ordered them. Did you notice that word in there? (laughs) He just kind of threw that word in there, flogged. Do we understand what flogging is? In biblical times, as a punishment, they would take a long whip, a leather whip. They would tie pieces of rock and glass to it. They would strip a guy naked, put him up against the wall, and they would whip that thing at him. And those pieces would dig into their skin. They'd pull it back out, and it would tear his skin off. Usually every year around Easter, we talk about this because that's what Jesus went through. It was called a nine tail. So it was nine of those straps, whether it was one or three or nine. That is not easy. Do we get how powerfully painful that is? This is painful opposition, leather and beatings. This is not casual. Now hear me good. This is not demanding us to wear a mask. This is not even complaining about how much water we put on our lawn. You hearing me now? This is getting all personal now. All right, hey, Don, you better back off. Okay. No, do we get that that is not the opposition they were facing? Now we get annoyed and we get bothered at those things, but this is physical opposition. And do you see where it's coming from? It's not coming from the Romans. It's not coming from the big big bad world. It's coming from the religious groups. The religious people around them are the ones that are opposing them. So the question is real. How will we deal with opposition? Because it is coming. And what fascinates me is how about this early church is how little fear they had. They were truly fearless. The floggings didn't even seem to slow them down. Look at verse 41. 41, the apostles left the high council rejoicing that God had counted them worthy to suffer disgrace. Woohoo, we got beatings today. This was a good day. It's not a good day in my book, all right? It doesn't even phase them. Do you see that? Jeff Vines is a preacher out of California that I follow and listen to him. He goes every year to a country called Rwanda in Africa and preaches in the prisons there. Now, Rwanda was the site, and the reason there are so full of prisons, it's the site of one of the worst genocides on our planet. In 1994, the Hutu terrorists, in a matter of 100 days, killed 800,000 of their own countrymen because they didn't like the religion they were practicing. It was horrible, and we heard very little about it over here. It is, it, it's tragic. And I mean, these weren't just, they were shooting them. No, they were taking machetes, and they were setting fire to people. It was horrid. Okay, this was awful. And so Jeff goes over there, and he preaches in these prisons. And the reason he keeps going is because the response is overwhelming. People are just moved. When they hear about this Jesus, they're so overwhelmed at their own sin that they, they beg forgiveness and they try to reconcile with some of these families. So he's been going several years. And a couple of years ago, he went. And his guide is a good friend of his, a guy named Anastasi that lives there. And he's taken him to these different prisons. And Anastasi said, I'm going to take you to this one prison. It's up in the hills, up in near the border of the Congo. And it's a bad one, all right? It's where the really, really, really bad guys go, okay? And so it's a three-hour ride in a bumpy truck on a dirt road. And it's, you know, he's bouncing around over there. And Anastasi's in the truck with him. And he's talking to him the whole time and saying, okay, now when we get to this prison, 
All right, you got to be you. You got to be on. All right, you ready? I mean, I want you aware of what's going on. You got to be right beside me. You cannot let your guard down one iota. These guys are terrible. You gotta you gotta be aware of what's going on. And he just keeps saying this and keeps saying this. And after a little while, Jeff goes, Anastasia, are are we in real danger if we go here? And Anastasia, without hesitation, turns to him and says, Does it matter? And in three words, he kind of solidified a lot of our American faith. Is it going to hurt? Is is this going to cost me? Am I going to, I mean, if I follow this Jesus, is it, I mean, mean, really, is it going to, I'm going to have to give up friends and I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to change my life? Yes. I'm not bashing the church people. I'm not at all bashing the bride of Christ. I just wonder sometimes in our American comfy faith, if, if we forget and we ask, will it hurt? Do we realize Jesus promised it would hurt? He never hesitated on that. He always promised it. And, and I love my brother and my savior. I, I love him for all he has done, but he was not a great recruiter. His PR skills were lacking. In Matthew chapter 10, Jesus is gathering all his apostles together. He's about to send them out. And he says, okay, go out to all these houses. Uh, there's a good chance you're going to get arrested and uh, probably thrown in prison. And you're probably going to get beaten. Uh, your family's going to abandon you. Uh, you're going to lose all your earthly wealth. You're probably even going to die. So who's in? His recruiting skills lacked, Okay. But he's honest from the very beginning. You will have trouble in this world, he says in in John 14. He goes, but don't worry. I've overcome this world. Why then do we listen to TV preachers or our culture that says, oh, God wants you rich. God wants you happy. God wants you comfortable. Why do we listen to that? Because It is clearly not what Jesus said. Jesus never said anything different. He clearly stated this job is going to be hazardous. All right? And the enemy comes along and says, no, you just get comfy. You just get where you want to be and let everything be about you because that's what's important, friends. We need to train our minds to hear what the creator is whispering. Not what culture, not what the enemy, not what the world is shouting. You see, fear didn't stop them. They were truly fearless. It didn't even slow them down. They got beaten and they're right back at it. Well, first of all, they got thrown in jail before breakfast. They're out preaching again. They get beaten by supper. They're back, back out preaching again. But I'm afraid fear is crippling the American church. Warren Buffett, in an article two years ago in Forbes magazine, said this. Warren Buffett, big money guy, right? He says this, I've never seen Americans more fearful. It takes five minutes to become fearful, much more to regain confidence. Now, he was talking about financial markets. He said they're all driven on confidence. But guess what? That applies to our faith. We need to be confident in our faith if we want to learn anything from the way. That's what this early church was called. If we want to learn anything from the way, we need to learn to not fear. And I keep saying this, and I want us to get it. Their opposition was not coming from the Romans. Now, later on, Nero, and there, there is oppression later on, but early on, the only opposition 
was church folk. They were shouting, this Jesus is a heretic and he's not doing it the right way. Get it? He's not doing it like, well, that's not the way I like it done. I don't like that music. I don't like that singing or, t- or preaching. I, I take the boys to school every morning and I, I listen to podcasts and stuff on the way back. Well, one, one day this week, I've, I've been in Acts 5, 6, 7, 8. I just kind of let the Bible app play, and I was listening to it, and I got into chapter 9. 9 is Saul's conversion, right? Anybody remember this one? Nod, show me you're still breathing, okay? All right, thank you. Uh, big bright light shines down, scared, you know, he can't see, goes in. The conversion didn't actually happen on the road. It happened with... Ananias later on, but he, he is so shocked and God got his attention there. But what is really fascinating to me is that conversion. I got to listening to it and I got to thinking about it. You know, most of us know somebody that has had a miraculous conversion. Somebody that, well, he was once on drugs, but now he's clean and he loves Jesus. Everybody know those stories? Some of you may be those stories. I love those stories. I call that an irreligious conversion, a conversion from the world into Jesus. But Saul's conversion was not from drugs. It was from religion. He converted, God got his attention. He was doing everything correctly. He was checking all the boxes. But his conversion was a religious conversion from selfishness to grace. From, from a world where I'm right and my way is right to God's grace just reminds me sometimes we need to be saved from our own religion. Friends, listen to me and listen to me good. The impact of the church will not be silenced by fear. There we are. Let me say that again so you can catch that one really good. I'm giving you the warm-up. Here's your warning. All right, Here. The impact of the church will not be silenced by fear. But do we see fear mongers in the church world? Yes, we do. Now, hear me good. I'm probably going to offend a big chunk of you here in the next few minutes. Stay close. You can beat me later on. These are my opinions, but listen, okay? We look out in the world and we see our government doing crazy, wacky things. True? And we see all this stuff out there, but we hear church people... Oh, goodness, what's going to happen? We, we're hearing stuff about a land grab. We're hearing all kinds of stuff about our water issues or about, uh, about Second Amendment rights. And we hear all this stuff. What are we, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? It goes even farther into social issues. Homosexuality or abortion or, or other things. Now, I get it. You're on both sides of that issue. I'm just trying to hear. I want you to hear this. All of those issues are valid. All of those things are real. But preaching fear is not the way. We are not to be fear-filled people. We're to be fearless people. A few years ago, we were at the Pregnancy Resource Center banquet. And I don't even remember the guy's speaker. We just, the banquet is the PRC. Just had it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, Caitlin does a ton for them. Nevis did all the decorating. It was gorgeous and beautiful. It's a wonderful event, right? And they have a speaker every year. And, and this is, I don't even eight or eight or nine years ago, but I remember this guy got up there and he was just so casual. He was just so casual and he was talking 
talking about abortion, talking about the Pregnancy Resource Center. He goes, you know what? We don't need to make abortion illegal. We just need to make it irrelevant. And I mean, that was just like a two before to me. And I've heard that thing over and over in my head. He says, it's a, it's a for-profit business. Don't worry about making it illegal. Just make it irrelevant. And, and I've played that in my head so many times about our culture. We need to address our culture that way. We don't need to worry about what is coming down the pike. We need to make fear irrelevant. Listen to what the creator is whispering and not what the enemy is shouting. If we are so filled with love, we're not going to worry about what the cultural thing, next thing is. We're not going to worry about the next disease. We're not going to worry about the next problem. If we can make love so relevant, fear is going to be irrelevant. I cannot wait to love somebody new. God, help me. Who are we going to love today? If we would approach our days like that, then we would not have to live in fear. Yes, there is some horrible stuff going on out there. Yes, we need to vote. Yes, we need to be active. But we do not need to live in fear. Now, if you're afraid right now and some of these things are bothering you, please know you're not a bad person. I don't hate you. Nobody hates you. But you know what beats fear? Perfect love drives out fear. Wayne just read it a little while ago. In 1 John 4, 18, Martin Luther King just one time said, hate cannot drive out fear. Only love can do that. Thomas Aquinas was a Italian monk back in the 1200s, and he talked about it this way. He said, fear is a contraction of the soul. And he goes on in his thesis, and he starts talking about it this way. He compared it to a city under siege. Think Middle Ages, 1200s. You know, um, think all of that kind of stuff. They had those cities, they had walled cities, and some other city attacked or some other country attacked. What did they do? They went and hid in the city, they locked the gates, and they would huddle down. And you hear this phrase, hunker down? They would hunker down and be and, and hang on to each other. I love the hanging on to each other, but what happens when you say hunker down? You're focused inside. And fear does that to us. It contracts us. It pulls us in and it makes the focus right here, not on the purpose. We talked a couple of weeks ago about we don't need to have every idea of God's plan. We need to know our purpose. Our purpose is to tell people about him. Listen to this. Listen to the very last verse, Acts chapter 5, verse 42, the last one we read today. And every day in the temple and from house to house, Do you notice this is not a once a week for an hour? This is every day they continue to teach and preach this message. Jesus is the Messiah. A friend of mine sent me this picture this last week. And I love this. A.W. Tozer, a scared world, a world that is fighting through everything out there needs a fearless church. It needs a body of believers that hangs on to his confidence. You see, our enemy wants us afraid. He wants us worrying about what others think. You know one of the beauties of, of growing old? You don't really care anymore. I don't really care what's in fashion. I don't really care if I match. I don't care much about my hairstyle because there isn't any. And uh, I don't care. But, but we all know our teenagers face this every day, don't we? 
How much of adolescence is is battling the who am I versus who is cool and what is in and am I in the right crowd? You hearing me? And sometimes adults fight that too. How would you and I, how would you live differently if the opinions of others didn't affect you? How would you live differently if the number on the scale didn't bother you? Or the picture or the image in the mirror? You hearing me? How would it, how would it affect us? I want to tr- drop a truth bomb on you right here. And you need to hear this and hear this good. Not all criticism is constructive. And not all critics think critically. These guys were the Sanhedrin. They were the religious council. They were the people they looked up to. But they weren't thinking critically. I read this in an article recently. It said, weak critiques attack your identity. Listen to this. When you're going through life and you're getting a conflict with somebody and they say, I thought you were a Christian. I didn't think Christians did that. Anybody heard something like that? Some phrasing like that? That's attacking your identity. It's a weak attack. It's a weak critique. You don't have to listen to it. A decent critique is going to challenge your ideas. But a strong critique will sharpen your thinking and improve your ideas. Friends, we need to listen closely to the people who are strong enough to be in there to want us to grow. You hear me? We need to listen to the inputs that matter. But fear is a massive barrier to spiritual growth and to kingdom growth. It is a wall that is out there that is keeping us from sharing our purpose. Did you hear the lyrics of some of the songs you sang today? Don't let your heart be troubled. Hold your head up high. Don't fear no evil. Fix your eyes on this one truth. God is madly in love with you. Your identity is not in how great you are. Your identity is as a child of God. And if we would get that, get it deep in our souls, it would change. Now, it's funny to me. It seems like beatings and jail would shut up the church. It seems like it would, you know, logic tells you, hey, we're going to beat these guys enough and and warn them, you do this again, we're going to beat you worse. Seems like that would have crushed the way. Actually, the exact opposite happened. Look over to chapter 8. In chapter 7 of of Acts is the stoning of Stephen. That is a real line in the sand at the beginning of the church is when Stephen became that martyr. There was a, a great change. But look at what happens at the end of the seventh chapter and the beginning of the eighth chapter. It says, Saul was one of the witnesses. He agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. We talked about him in what he changes to. But listen to this next line. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem and all the believers, except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Now, at first we read that and go, oh, persecution is bad. But did we hear what happened at the end of that? It said they scattered. They went everywhere. The only ones that stayed in Jerusalem were the apostles. It became a international ministry then. It wasn't just in one little city. It had gone viral. Now, I'm not saying it was easy. I'm sure some of those guys ran for their life. I'm sure they were like, come on, honey, we got to go. We got to get out of here. But we're going to go see Aunt so-and-so over in Samaria. And while we're there, 
We're free to talk about anything we want. We're free to talk about this Jesus to anybody that's around. We're really running in fear, but we are free. I got a story this week about a novelist. His name's Herman Woke, W-O-U-K, not W-O-K-E, W-O-U-K. He was, he was writing about a meeting he had in 1955 with a guy named David Ben-Gurion. Now, for those of you that are history buffs, David Ben-Gurion was the very first president of the nation of Israel. In 1948, when Israel became a nation again, they were being attacked from every side. David Ben-Gurion was their first president. Guerrilla warfare, they're being much like today. If you've followed the last two days, there are new incursions coming from Iran. We have some of our own people on the ground there, and we are praying for the safety of those people and the safety of our family and friends there. But So it's, this is early in the Israel's country. They were facing all kinds of guerrilla warfare. David Ben-Gurion invited this Herman Woke and his family to their, to their presidential villa. He wanted them to meet him and visit with him. And they met for hours and they had great talks. And the president of Israel invited Herman Woke. He says, you need to move here. You need to be right here in Israel. Write your, write your novels from Israel. You'd be free here. And when he said that, Herman Woke said, I remembered riding to the presidential villa in an armored car escorted by machine guns. And he turns to the president and he says, how can someone be free with your roads that are impassable after sundown? And David Ben-Gurion looked back at him and he said, I didn't say safe. I said free. God is not calling us to safe, people. He's not calling us to comfy. In fact, if anything, he's calling us out of comfy to face our fears and to face others' fears. It might hurt. It's not going to be safe. But we are free to not worry. God is calling us out of our comfortable lives. And you might be saying, Don, you don't understand how uncomfortable my life is. It's okay. But God is calling you to one thing, to one purpose. Talk about him. Too often our courage is based on earthly security. On, okay, I'm going to be courageous because I got all these people behind me, right? I got all these people with me. It's all on earthly security. What we need is courage based on him, based on his word and his strength. Oh, if we would live that kind of free, you know what we would never worry about? We would never worry about governments and their wacky choices. Wouldn't worry us. It annoy us, okay? It would annoy us. And we get through annoyances by talking about Jesus. We wouldn't worry about other people's social media and how perfect their life looks and how imperfect mine looks and how come I'm not cool like them. You know what? We wouldn't worry anymore because our identity is not in how cool we are. Our identity is as a child of Jesus Christ. We wouldn't even worry about religion. And how we get along or how we don't get along. Or am I good enough or have I done enough? We wouldn't even worry about that. Because we are free in him. Friends, when the whole world is hanging by a thread. When you wonder if you're near the end of your rope. And I got a hunch there are people in this very room that are right there today. 
There are people online that are wondering, how many more days can we do this? How many more times can we go through this? How many more doctor's visits? How many more bills are going to come? Friends, don't hold on to earthly courage. Hold on to confidence in the Lord. The Mandalorian and Grogu were a, were a clan of two. We're a clan of two. Him and me. And him and you. And him and you. And him and you. And him and you. And then we get all of our clans together. And we're a church. And we're a body that hangs on to each other. Fearlessly not worried about the world, friends. This is the way he has spoken. Pray with me. Father, may the world see a fearless church in the face of scary situations. Judgment and judgmentalism, war and division, pain and suffering. May they see us so in love with you and so alive for you that nothing will slow us down to honoring our purpose. Hold our heads high. We're not going to fear evil. We're not going to fear our world because we know you are stronger. Thank you, Father, for mercy. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, Father, for strength and courage. May we know our purpose today and every day. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Central Christian Church in Portales, New Mexico. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To connect with us, visit our website at centralwired.org.